together. So we're grateful. And I'm going to talk fast today because I got a little bit of time to go to Matthew chapter 5. If you'll go there, Matthew chapter 5, we're in the best sermon ever. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus preached, and we're at a milestone today. We're going to finish chapter 5. We still have chapter 6 and 7 to go, but the, the title is, and, and I struggle with this a little bit, and then it dawned on me, we're supposed to love, and whoever that is for you, love the most unloveliest. I think that's the word, spell check didn't change it, okay, unloveliest, whoever that is for you, we're supposed to love them. I want you to listen to a story this morning. On August 8, 2004, the Vietnamese community of Westminster, California, celebrated. They celebrated one of the most, one of the kindest and bravest acts performed by a stranger on them. Let's flash back to November of 1985. Are you there? What were you doing in 85? Anybody? We were getting ready to have our first child. We've been married. We were still, still on the honeymoon, kind of, right? All right. You remember 85? Some of you are like, I had not discovered America yet. That's okay. <laughs> in November of 85, here's the setting. In the South China Sea, some of you will think about this in a minute, there were 96 Vietnamese refugees, and they were in trouble because on their rickety boat, the engine had blown. And there they are adrift in the South China Sea. See, and there is a tropical storm headed their way. And what was interesting about these 96 ref refugees is for four days, four days they watched, not one, not two, not ten, but 50 ships passed them by, not willing to rescue them. And then came the 51st ship, and it turned around after it passed them, and it came back and it stopped to save them. This ship was a South Korean fishing vessel, and it was captained by a 16-year veteran, his name of Jean. Don't quote me on my pronunciation. On board this ship, it was a good-sized ship, were 25 sailors, and this is the part I love, 350 tons of tuna. <laughs> Can you imagine what that would be worth today? Wow. So the captain, they, they were there by the refugees, and he called his sailors together and told them he would take responsibility for rescuing these refugees Be, because he alone would take responsibility because it was against company policy. Well, after the sailors heard that uh, and thought about it, they said, we're with you, captain. We will follow you. And so these guys were rescued. 96 souls, lives. Now let's fast forward again to 2004 at the celebration in California. These many years later, these refugees and their families finally discovered what had happened to that captain who rescued them. The shipping company fired him for breaking company policy and rules. And he was blackballed. He could not find another captain's job and he had to survive through his savings and by helping out here and there with other friends businesses so 19 years after the dramatic boat rescue there were hundreds of people in Westminster California and they paid back a debt hear me a debt that they could never repay they honored that ship's captain 
after tracking him down. And Jean shrugged off the compliments, and here's a quote that he said that day. If I wasn't there, other people might have done the same thing that I did. As a fisherman for 25 years, I've caught a lot of fish. And during the 25 years, it was with God's grace that we found the boat people and were able to save all of them. And after I read that, I just thought, what a picture. Wow, what an example of love. We're going to talk about love today. And it's that agape love that's mentioned in our passage today. It's a love that loves without conditions, without worrying about getting something back. He didn't get anything back. If anything, he had bad things that happened to him. It's a God-like love. Are you familiar with that word, agape love? But here's the question for today. Are you ready? But what if the possible object of our love is an enemy? What are we to do? Let's read some scripture. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers... What are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And let me go to Luke chapter 6 real quick, uh, another uh, section of Jesus' sermon. And here's what he says, verse 27. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who miss treat you. And then we get to verse 36. Be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Let's pray. God, we come to you today asking that you would work in our lives, that you would change us from the inside out, that we would be different when we leave this place today. So speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You see, I don't know if you know, but around the globe today, there are tens of thousands of Christians suffering. Are you aware of that? And some of them, they're being persecuted. And some of them are having to lay down their lives because of one thing. They have chosen to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, according to Scripture, they are to love their persecutors. But what about us? I'm looking around, I know a lot of you, you folks, I, I don't think any of you died this week because of Jesus, all right? I'm looking. Everybody looks like they're breathing, right? Most of us here in Albuquerque, we're not even really persecuted. We might get something said to us or someone get in our face and disagree or whatever, but think about this. So what do we do about it? Listen, we know there are evil people and unrighteous people in our world. Scripture tells us to love them. There are people who don't love us, love them. And there are people who just might be passing us by that might be 
the same as us or might be a little different or radically different from us, and they pass us by. Scripture's clear. Love them. So let's look at a few things this morning. Number one is this, in verse 43 and 44, we see we receive a God-honoring command and an implied idea. Well, what are you talking about? Well, Marvel, look at 43 and 44. Jesus starts out with, you've heard this said. And the command is simple. The command comes from Leviticus chapter 19. What is the command? To love your, and Jesus expounds on it, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So what's the problem, Lamar? Well, Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Here's the problem. The Bible never says, hate your enemy. If you have a Bible like I do, of course, I have red letters showing it's Jesus speaking, but also in boldface type, it shows that it's quoting Scripture. And so I have love your neighbor in boldface type, and then hate your enemy is just regular type. Why? Because he's not quoting from the Bible. It's not in the Bible, and this is a problem. What's the problem? Once again, as we have seen throughout chapter 5, the religious leaders... The Pharisees, the people who are supposed to be spiritually in charge, once again they had perverted God's law and they had added something to it. Hate your enemies. You can go and study it. What they added to it was this. They added hatred of non-Jews as a commandment. And you know what I fear today? I fear there are Christians today. Don't lynch me. See how I did that? Western term. (laughs) Supposed to be a joke. I fear there are Christians today who have added hatred towards a certain person or even a group to Scripture and command. Friday night, I love Josh McDowell, great, but you know who impacted me greatly? A guy named Brady who talked about coming out of homosexuality, talked about how the church lets people down and it was amazing to hear that because I fear that some people maybe not you good people but some people have added hatred of a certain group person sect other faith community some country around the world listen we should not be like them. Let me tell you how bad it was. These religious leaders back then went so far as they would wrap robes around themselves so in case they brought up against a Gentile, it would not actually be contact. Isn't that silly? In fact, they said the Gentiles were created by God to fuel the fires of hell. They got it all wrong, and Jesus gives the proper response in verse 44. Do you see that? He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And i got to put my glasses on because there's footnotes in my Bible. You may have a few different words there. Different manuscripts have different things. You might also have, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. You might also have, there's other manuscripts out there that say, mistreat you. Pretty much covering it all there, isn't it? And that's what Jesus responds there in verse 44. It's the proper response. Remember what Jesus said a few verses back in the Sermon on the Mount? He did not come to destroy the law, but to do what? He came to fulfill the law. And we talked about what that means. It means take 
the law and bring it to its intended completion. Not what the religious leaders had done, not what the church had done, but to take it to the completion that God wanted it to be at. And so Jesus here, verse 44, I mean, it's cut and dry. He gives us the correct behavior. Love them. Bless them. Pray for them. Something I've noticed in my life. Don't you think right now about someone that maybe you've hated or you're having trouble with? I've discovered this in my life. It is hard to hate someone when you're continually praying for them. I'm not saying, oh, we're supposed to pray for the president or the governor or whatever, so I do it begrudgingly once. No. When you continually pray for someone, especially if they're different from you, maybe it appears they're even an enemy, it is hard to hate them. Why? Because God works in our lives. He works through prayer. And I want to say something to you. Let me exhort you this morning. You ready? Try it. Just try it. Let me just challenge you. Just try it. Just give it a couple weeks and you come back and tell me, oh, it didn't work. Uh Uh-uh. I don't think you will. You will begin in a peculiar, strange way to see feelings being changed for that person that maybe you have hated. You see, when negative thoughts come, what we must do is ask God to bless our enemy. And let me tell you something. If you're like, Lamar, there's no way I can do that. Listen, if you're having trouble loving them, you don't think you can do it, go ahead and love them as an enemy. God will change you. It's okay. No matter what, we're to love. Anybody ever heard of Oswald Chambers? Some of you read him every morning in devotional. Listen to what he said. Direct quote. If I work for God because I know it brings me the good opinion of those whose good opinion I wish to have, I am a Pharisee. If I love Jesus Christ... I will serve humanity, though men and women treat me like a doormat. Not much worse than that, is there? A doormat. They just wipe their feet all over me. Scripture helps us to know this. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says this. It's a command. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone. But always, here's the command, pursue what is good for one another, but it doesn't stop there, and for all. Wow. And we have our great example, right? It's Jesus on the cross. He he gave us the example. When he's on the cross, probably a good chance it might be an enemy if they're killing me, right? This is what is happening, and Jesus says, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they're doing. Well, let's move on to verse 45. Why, Lamar? Why love and pray for them? Scripture says, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he causes his son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteousness, on the righteous and the unrighteous. Here's the answer. Why? To show yourselves to be followers of God. Here, the example here, the enemy is the evil person. But notice something just from this one verse. They are graced by God just as we are. This morning, the sun came up for them. Did you know that? 
just like the sun came up for you. God gave them breath. God gave them life. God gave them trees and grass, and maybe not New Mexico, but that's okay. And he held earth together, Jesus holds earth together for them. Just like he does for you, righteous person, he does that for the evil person as well. Why? Why, Lamar? Even, even though they may ignore him, or even worse, disobey him, or resist him, God each day, by sending the rain to everyone, the sun to everyone, all these things, he is preaching his love. When he says, love your enemies, he's not saying, do something I wouldn't do. He preaches his love and care to them, and he bids them, even through a sunrise and a sunset. I've, I've talked about that with some of the most pagan lost people. Have you ever? And I get a chance to say, it's God who did that. I mean, people that will have nothing to do with God still knows, hey, something's going on here. Look at that beautiful sunset. You see? He bids them through all of this, come to me. Come to me. You see, we must love and pray for them. Well, what about me? Well, maybe this is you. I have people who resist my efforts. I have people who contradict my beliefs. I even have people who antagonize me. Maybe something's going on in your life. Maybe you have an insensitive spouse. Maybe a rebellious child. Maybe complaining neighbors. I got some of you there, didn't I? Here's the thing. Love them. Bless them. Pray for them. I've got another story I want to tell you. I don't usually tell a lot of stories, but this story just really impacted and changed my life. His name is Mitsuo Fuchida. Anybody know that name? He's the commander who led the squadron of 860 planes in the attack on Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941. Okay, you got the picture? And bomber, U.S. bomber pilot Jacob DeShazer was so eager to strike back. He had such hatred in his heart. He had seen so many of his uh, comrades die. He'd see so much carnage. He couldn't wait to strike back. Okay, December 7th. So on that next year, on April 18th, he piloted his B-52 bomber, and he went on a dangerous raid over Japan. And after dropping his bombs, DeShazer lost his way in heavy fog. And he had to, his, his plane was running out of fuel, and he had to bail out. Well, guess what happened to him? He was taken prisoner. He was tortured. He was threatened with imminent death. For almost two years, he suffered hunger, cold, and dysentery. And finally, in May of 1944, this is crazy, in, in prison, POW, was given a Bible. And the guard said to him, you can keep it for three weeks. Well, he got to work. He quickly began reading the Bible and read it through several times. I mean, he had time on his hands, didn't he? And he was memorizing it, key passages. And he was just doing it over and over. And on June 8th of that year, he came across a verse. It was Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you know it, don't you? You will be saved. And Jacob asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart and be his Savior. Immediately, that passage began to affect him. 
His hatred and hostility towards his guards evaporated, and every morning he greeted them warmly. And he prayed for them, and he went a step further than just praying for them. He sought, he, he's a prisoner of war. He sought to witness to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he noticed something. Their attitude towards him changed drastically. In fact, instead of torture, they began to slip him extra food or supplies. Well, after the war was over, the Shazer returned to Japan as a missionary. God had got a hold of his life so much, he returns to Japan, who was the former enemy to be a missionary. And copies of his testimony, it was entitled, I Was a Prisoner of the Japanese, copies of his testimony flooded the country, and many wanted to meet the man who forgave his enemies. God gave him a platform. And there was one man deeply affected by the Shazer's testimony, and he was led to Christ. His name, Mitsuo Fuchida, the man who led the Pearl Harbor attack. You don't find that in a lot of history texts today. And get this, those two men became friends. Can, it's just blowing my mind, can you believe that? And Fuchida became, are you ready for this? A powerful evangelist all around the world, preaching throughout Japan and the world. And this happened because of love, loving your enemy, taking that hatred and turning it into love. You see, the principle of loving your enemy, it revolutionized and dramatically changed the lives of both of these men who were enemies. And I say, wow. And I want to tell you something this morning. I don't know where you're at in life. God can do the same for you. And for me, pray that you'll park on that verse 45 and really consider what God can do in your life. But we must move on. Verses 46, 47, we see as Jesus is speaking that our love must be different. You see, this love that we're supposed to have is all-encompassing. And he makes it clear there. We, we, we cannot only love those who love us like our family. Come on, guys, that's easy. Is it not easy to love someone if they're loving you? Of course it is. We cannot stop there. It must be all-encompassing. We're to love, I believe, all who pass by us. Even if they offend you, even if they dishonor you, even if they anger you, disappoint you, frustrate you, or threaten you. Have I got them all in? Just about, right? We're to love all who pass by. And Jesus in Scripture right here gives two examples. He talks about the tax collectors. Did you see it? Now you'll remember the Roman Empire used a tax system in which the governor, the gov not governor, sorry, forgive me, the government would designate how much money was to be collected from a specific area. Sounds kind of like America. <laughs> and then they hired people to collect it. Okay. Each tax gatherer had to turn in the amount that Rome required, right? But if you know about history then, 
but they could keep whatever else they could get. It reminds me of the kids, remember the kids show, the cartoon, the movie, Robin Hood? What, who, was it the sheriff that was collecting too much and all that? Yeah, even took the, was it the little mouse mama, that, the last? Am I getting my show wrong? Someone help me. Confirm it, please, confirm it. Thank you. All right, yeah. That's, that's kind of what I think about. I mean, right? They could, whatever they could get, man, they took it. And so guess what? Tax collectors back then, they were crooks. But more than that, they were rich crooks. And more than that, they were loathed by everyone. You talk about an enemy. And Jesus uses that example. He said, look, they can even do this kind of love. Wow. The Jews especially loathed them because they were employees of, remember what they had been taught? The Gentiles, Romans. And Jesus indicated that they're to love them. And then he mentions the Gentiles. Hey, they even do this. Well, what do, we, what do we need to know by that? When you see that word, just think about Jesus is basically saying, hey, you guys, the whole rest of the world, all-encompassing, whoever in the world passes you by, love them. Which leads us to the final verse, verse 48, where Jesus commands a higher standard. Have you noticed that in the Sermon on the Mount? He is constantly giving us a higher standard, a higher standard, a higher standard. And I want to read this verse because in my version it says, Be perfect, therefore your heavenly Father is perfect. Very misunderstood verse. Lots of people have taken it and uh, I believe theologically have, have ran somewhere that it doesn't go. So let me read it to you from two um, different versions. One you'll recognize, the Amplified Bible. It's not always perfect, but sometimes it defines these words for us. Listen to this verse in the Amplified. You, therefore, must be perfect. And then there's brackets. Growing into complete maturity of godliness in mind and character, having reached the proper height of virtue and integrity. So you, therefore, must be perfect. All of that, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Kenneth West, a great Greek scholar who I value greatly, straight out of the Greek, the best he could, word for word, has translated it this way. Therefore, as for you, you shall be those who are complete in your character, even as your Father in heaven is complete in his being. That's good, isn't it? The word there is teleos. It means completed, mature, reaching a goal, fulfilling a purpose, being fully grown. It means all that. So, so no, we are not perfect but here's the fact, and Jesus knows it. God is working each day in our lives. Did you know that? In my life, God is working each day to mature me more than yesterday, to complete me more than yesterday, to help me to be more fully grown than yesterday. Let me tell you a travesty. It's the Christian whose testimony is about in 1969, God saved me. That's my testimony, by the way. But that's all they got. Hello? I want to hear when you got saved, but I want to hear what God has done. What's the meaning and purpose of your life? And what is God doing this year in your life? People need to hear that. He's making a difference. This is that verse right there. He's completing us. He's working our lives. So let me help with this real quickly. There's three biblical, uh, the theological words that we use to help us see this, Okay. Listen, it's not just, hey, I was saved in 1969 at camp. Psh, done. No. 
The first word is this. These are what I call the three tenses of salvation. Number one is justification. Here's what you need to know. Justification is a one-time event. And what it gives a person is freedom from sin's penalty. You got it? Titus 3, 5 through 7. He, talking about God, he saved us not by works or righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out this Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Justification, one-time event. Freedom from, God, from sin's penalty. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is what? It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast or take credit for it. That's number one, justification. Number two is sanctification. Listen, that's a daily event. It's not a one-time. It's a daily event. It's a process, if you will. It gives freedom from sin's power. Got it? Freedom from sin's power. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm not saying you're not saved, but you've got to keep working it out. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you, both to desire and to work out his good purpose. When I read that, we're not saved and we sit back in some, you know, pose or we just go and be a hermit or to a monastery and just say, okay, God, you know. No, we are commanded as God works in us, we are to work it out. You see that? I'm not saying just go and do a bunch of works and you're going to work it out. No, as God works through us, then we begin to work that out. It's called sanctification. And then the third tense of salvation, we have justification, we have sanctification, we have glorification. I can't wait. It is also a one-time event. Hear me. It's a one-time event. And it gives freedom from, one, from sin's presence. You see, no matter how good you work it out, no matter how complete you become, as long as you're walking on planet Earth, you're still affected by sin. Amen? But someday glorification will occur, that final act of salvation, if you will, mm. and we'll get freedom from sin's presence. 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, is he talking about Jesus, right? Did you know Jesus is coming back? Yeah. There's another song on the radio that Jesus is coming back. I can't get it out of my head, man. It's like I have to change the station and it still stays there. It still goes on and on. Has that ever happened to any of you guys? Okay. We're God's children now, but what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he, Jesus, appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. There will be a day face to face with Christ my Savior. Right? There'll be a day. Now I must tell you the difficulty is 
Someday, hear me, if you've been putting off a relationship with the Lord, someday it'll be too late. Everybody doesn't get to go to heaven and make a choice. Are you aware of that? We make the choice while we're here on earth. And there's the debate about how that choice works. God's sovereignty and, and uh, man's responsibility. God's sovereignty and free choice and will and all that. You can debate that all you want. Here's what I know. We better settle the issue with Jesus while you're still living and breathing and walking on the earth. Because someday it will be too late. Don't put it off. So as we think about this last verse here, let me ask you this question. Do you want to be a mature Christian? Do you want to be more and more completed, more and more grown? Well, guess what? Don't take it out of context. One of the best ways to propel ourselves towards reaching that standard is to, guess what? Love our enemies. Now, I know some of you are saying, I just, it's just the standard's too high. Listen, of course the standard is too high. The standard is too high for me. But what we must remember is that if we're truly God's children, we will truly move in his direction. It doesn't mean we'll get all the way there. And the beauty is that God forgives us when we fail. Anybody failed this year in anything? Come on. Bunch of liars in here. You're not raising your hands. Come on, if you're married, you have failed. If you've got kids or parents, you have failed, you know? You know, I've had to, I had to apologize to a church member because I failed. I said something I shouldn't have. We do it all the time. Listen, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us, amen, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not a license to sin. It's not that, hey, I'll go ahead and do this because I'm going to confess it. No, that's not what it's about. But it's knowing that he'll do that. As we wrap up, think about this maybe. If this has been said, listen to this phrase. You can't. God never said you could. Now think about that for a minute. But he can. And he always said he would. I wish that was mine. I would trademark it and copyright it, but it's not. But you, can you picture that? So often we just try to do it ourselves, and he is the one who works in us to help accomplish that. Think of it this way. I read the, In fact, I read this, this this past week. I thought I was done with the sermon, and then I read this, and I said, I'm not done. Are you ready for this? Jesus didn't teach us to love our enemies for their good. It is for our own good to keep us from becoming the enemy is that not the American church today we have become enemies of so many things we have become and I'm telling you what I, I'm Baptist you know from the headlights to the tailpipe I'm you know uh, that's who I am but I am so sick of us being known for things we're against instead of what we're for do you know people that don't agree with you are smart they didn't just one day decide, hey, I'm going to be this way, I'm going to believe this, or I'm going to... No, they're smart. We need to be for them. We need to love them, bless them, pray for them. And perhaps they might see something different than just look down upon them. 
I'm going to tell you not just what Brady said Friday night. I know some of you were there, some of you weren't. But then there was a Q&A and Josh McDowell, and it, the, issue, the, the topic was homosexuality. This is a guy who's come out of that and has a ministry, okay? And Josh McDowell, in one of the questions, talked about a friend he had who was homosexual, and he hadn't seen him in a while. And he saw him, and he ran across the room and hugged him. I think he might have even said he kissed him. I don't know, but he, but he hugged him. And the guy began to cry. And this cut my heart. Man. And I may not get it perfectly right. It's okay. I couldn't take notes then. I was just tears were in my eyes. That guy said, usually when people find out my way of life, they step back. But you put your arms around me. Love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those, and maybe they persecute you, or maybe they're just passing by. This is the revolution that we need today. It's for our own good to keep us from becoming the enemy. But I would fail to be much of a preacher if I didn't remind you of that. Anybody, anybody here saved? Are you ready? No, okay, you're saved. You got to be careful where you take the pause, right? Anybody here saved? Are you ready? Before 1950. Anybody? Look, right there, there, there. Some? Okay. So I'm not. Sorry, son. You, there's no way. It's like an eight year old right here. <laughs> I didn't say 2050. Okay. So even someone saved that far back. That's a big change, right? Let's see. 50. Help me out, 72 years? Over 72 years for some of these people, maybe close to 80? Boy, can you imagine how different life is after all those years? But I want to tell you something. The Scripture is clear that we were one. Whether you were saved then or you were saved yesterday, we were once enemies of God. Are you hearing me? Let's apply this, loving our enemies, to how God gives the example, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet or still sinners, you can mark that out and write enemies, because God is holy God. What does it say? But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us, the rescue plan. And I'm here to proclaim today, wherever you are, God is in the saving business. God has a rescue plan. It has already been fulfilled and completed. It's not done. Listen, you're not on a boat watching ships go by you, 50 of them before someone stops. Listen, God has stopped in your life, and He is ready and willing to save you. And He can do that today. What you must do is realize that and turn and run to Him and say, I know I'm a sinner. And I don't know what to do except throw myself upon you and my sin and everything and ask you to forgive me and come into my life. And guess what God does? God saves. Listen, God saved me. He can save you. And God help us if we've been saved a month or a year or 10 years or 50 years if we think we had something to do with it, mm -mm. God did it. 
I was an enemy, and he loved me, and he blessed me, and he transformed my life. So Christian, what are you going to do about it? Well, I've been saved and baptized. I'm a, I'm a covenant member of Hopping Down Church. No. What are you going to do about it today? What are you going to do about it tomorrow? How fresh will your testimony be this week? How will you love even an enemy? Let's pray. God, speak to us this morning. I believe you have, God. I've been praying for this. I believe totally that you are speaking the lives right now, right here on campus and around perhaps even the world, around our state, our city, as people are watching. Remind us that you save each and every day that you are ready to transform lives today. And God, I pray for those of us oh, here at Hoppintown. I, I'm, not worried about other, I'm not worried about other people or other churches. I'm worried about our church. Help us to be known what we're for, not just against. God, speak to us during this time of response. In your name we pray, amen.